We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Milato. Today we're here to do another little bit of bi-week content and we're going to take a look at the midseason awards for the New York Football Giants, the midseason superlatives, things that stood out to us, things that we wanted to dive into. At the midseason point, where the Giants are six and two, coming off the bye week, headed into a game against the Texans that might be a little trickier than we originally thought, just because they kind of gave the Eagles a tough game. And now Xavier McKinney's going to be out. So that's kind of annoying, but we'll see. I still have a lot of confidence in that game. And then the Lions as well, who beat the Packers just recently and showed a little bit of fight. I feel like, Nick, every single time the Lions win a game over these last couple of Dan Campbell seasons, we get like these insane locker room videos, of, like everyone emotional, everyone hugging. It's just like well, it's like you get like one or two wins a year and they're just like they, and I just almost feel bad for them. Maybe hopefully that franchise will turn around. I know some Lions fans. So I just wanted to say I feel a little bad for them, but we got those two games coming up. Giants, in my mind, are in must win situations. I think if they lose the Texans or the Lions. It's not only going to be surprising and devastating, but it's going to be really detrimental to their chances of making the playoffs. Now, we'll see if that turns out to be true or not. They do have some easy games coming up even later in the season. The Colts now looking like an easy game, but I don't think it's going to help. Let's say that much. So before we dive into any of that later on this week and later on in the coming weeks, let's talk about some midseason bye week fun, some superlatives. I want to start with the one that is always kind of fun to talk about the biggest surprise of the season for you, Nick, who is the biggest surprise of this season? And it could be a player, a development, an in a coach, anything like that. I think there are a lot of ways we can take this. Now, I think the coaching would be the biggest surprise because we, we figured there would be a coaching upgrade. It's hard to kind of be a dec decline from what we've seen over the last several seasons, but how this team has been able to adjust their game plans in game and and win these close games have to me been 
a refreshing surprise, but I wouldn't say it's the biggest surprise because we knew Brian Dable was sharp. I think the biggest surprise is the same thing that you tweeted, and that is the play of the cornerbacks behind Adoree Jackson. And that mainly includes Fabian Moreau, who has stepped in and been a solid, I would say, cornerback too, opposite of Adoree Jackson, making several big plays against really good competition like DK Metcalf and coming up really big in the situation at the end of the Jacksonville game, but also players like Nick McLeod, who have made really impactful plays few and far between but that tackle on christian kirk's end around was huge he also had a really yeah. nice route where he carried him up and he rode him off the red line provided the quarterback no space to drop the little teardrop in over the shoulder of the wide receiver so i think the cornerback play in general behind Adoree jackson which was if we go back just a couple months then that was our biggest concern right all offseason we talked about the biggest concern is what happens if aaron robinson or Adoree jackson gets injured well this is the New York Giants. Of course, one of those things is going to happen. Aaron Robinson gets injured, and then the Giants are still able to patchwork their defense with a bunch of veteran free agents like Fabian Moreau. So that has to be the biggest surprise, in my opinion, and I believe in your opinion as well. Yeah, Fabian Moreau was my pick as well. I think you did a great job explaining it. I just didn't expect this, given his career trajectory, given some of the snaps on film he had. I mean, let's be honest about it. He's playing great ball now. He hadn't always played great ball early in his career. There's some tape that you've watched, Nick, and that we've we've seen circulated around that wasn't exactly what we're seeing now with the Giants. We're getting a different level player now. As part of that, the coaching in the secondary, yes, I think so. As part of that, the system fit, that's probably even more so. Uh, you know, what's going on. But a lot of this is just on him. Like a lot of these are just him being in the right spot at the right time, him breaking on the ball, his vision, his decisiveness, his instincts. These are maybe traits that just injuries and other factors have kind of limited him in the past. But right now they're getting really competent play from the cornerback two positions. The point where I'm even like, can they resign this dude, get back Aaron Robinson, get back Cordo flaw and maybe have the opportunity and flexibility to not have to go corner up top with their draft picks and with their major draft capital. That's the point we've gotten to. That's why he's my pick. There's other guys that you can mention. You talk about some Jihad Ward belongs in that mix for sure. For me, I would even say like before the injury, Bredesen was starting to come on. He could have been in that mix as well. Um, Bellinger to me is a surprise. I never thought he'd play this amazing in his first season. Chris Myrick to me is a, somebody who I would say is surprised, dude. I just wasn't expecting him to be like a plus contributor, someone who, when he's on the field, is definitely a positive impactor on your on your football team. Um, so a lot of guys in the mix, but Fabian Moreau is for sure the guy for me, just given the fact that look, he's turned this cornerback position in cornerback two position, I should say, in from a weakness into at at you know, at best a strength, but probably more likely an average solid piece. Which is all the New York Giants need. We just thought it was going to be one of those things where opposing quarterbacks would just absolutely exploit the fact that Adoree Jackson didn't have another comparable starter next to him. And while Adoree Jackson is better than Fabian Moreau right now, Fabian Moreau is exceeding our expectations. I think there's one player that you left off the list. And yeah. Daniel Bellinger, he'll show up a little bit later on in this list because he's definitely a huge surprise and a pleasant one at that. But I think O'Shane Zimenez, is another player that we Great should call. mention because he's somebody who had a solid rookie season, right? He flashed. He's quick. We like that. You know, he's a big body, but he's had injury plagued years and kind of just fizzled out under Joe judge's tutelage. Now he is injured, but when he was healthy, he was a really impactful player that wink Martindale was utilizing to his full potential. He has what? 10 pressures, two sacks on the season. And I think he's playing the best football that we've seen from Ocean's and possibly even maxing out, his potential as a 
at least right now, which he's still a young player. So I think he definitely deserves to be a big surprise. And if he comes back healthy, he'll be a really nice rotational piece in what is now a, a deeper edge room. Yeah, great call. Let's go with your breakout player of the year. And I think there are, this is another one where there are a lot of options and a lot of players in the mix. Uh, we just had Fabian Moreau. Both Nick and I chose Fabian Moreau for biggest surprise. We'll see if we have the same guy for breakout player of the year. You can talk about your process and your pick. Yeah, I think breakout player, there's only really one for the New York Giants. And it's just because he has broken out so much from last year to this year. And I've been one of the guys who have just been standing on the Dexter Lawrence bandwagon saying, no, he's good. Just give him a shot. And now he's actually finishing those sacks. The film checks out. Everything checks out with Dexter Lawrence. And I think he is the true breakout. I don't even know who else would be in the conversation if we're not including Saquon Barkley. Maybe you could say Andrew Thomas, but anybody who watched the film or watched the Giants last year knew he was a developing player who was already trending towards this type of uh, acknowledgement that he's receiving now nationally. So I think Dexter Lawrence is the only answer. The players in the mix, I would say, would be Andrew Thomas only because he was playing really great last year, and now he might be the best offensive tackle in the NFL. So I think that is a little bit of a difference from last year to now. I think he is definitely has taken a step. It's a matter of what you consider to be a breakout and how much of the step you actually consider him to take. I think the same case can be said on a lesser level for Dory Jackson, while he's not the best okay. corner in the NFL right now, and he was actually really good on film last year. For those of you who watched the film or follow along with us, you know we were singing his praises then. I still think he's taken his game to another level this year. So those are two that I put into mind there um, before making my pick. I considered them both. I also considered the possibility of uh, putting, well, Saquon Barkley is already breakout. I consider the possibility of putting Daniel Jones in the mix as a breakout player, as the breakout player. I would say for me, he doesn't quite qualify. I think, He's done a great job in some of these games. And as I said, in that four-week stretch, he had a really, really good four-week stretch before the Seattle game where I felt like he was one of those command-type pitchers, those guys who were just in full command. I still didn't feel like he had a 100-miles-per-hour fastball. I still didn't think he was throwing like a wipeout slider that we saw, a.k.a. like a 60-yard, you know, hole shot or some kind of hole shot against cover two that we were just like, damn, dude, he tried to fit that ball into the window, and he did. Still not seeing a lot of that. Still think a lot of it is kind of operating under the circumstances of what he's being coached to do and doing a good job of that, not turning the ball over, making some play, big plays with his legs, a couple big throws on third downs with his arm, reading the defense a lot better, moving through his reads a lot faster, processing faster. All of those things could lead to him being a breakout player. So to me, I think the level of jump plays a factor. I just don't quite think he's a breakout yet, right? Like. Dexter Lawrence, who's my pick as well, Nick, is an actual true breakout. He's playing like one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. That's what a breakout is to me. So Lawrence gets the pick for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. One biggest surprise that we left out was Tamon Fox. Sure. That's a huge oh, surprise. That's a great right call. There. Yeah. Yeah. Who who's playing a lot of snaps and he could honestly take the uh Take the mantle. I would just say he's more of a rotational piece, whereas Fabian Moreau is a part of the starting eleven, which gives me the intention to go with Moreau. But in terms of Daniel Jones, and I just looked up his stats, I think everything you said is right. I think this is interesting though. And it's it's not, you know, a crazy stat or anything like that. But in the two Giants losses, he was sub 55% completion rate. And those are the only times he was in the below 60% mark. The only game that comes close is the Chicago game where he had a completion rate of 61 and a half percent, but he only attempted I think 13 passes right. in that game. So just a little interesting note again, obviously when you lose football games, you're probably not going to complete as many passes. So it's not groundbreaking, but still, I think 
having those reliable options underneath like Daniel Bellinger and things like that are, are a big reason why that completion rate is as high as it is. Those easy schemed check down, get the football into your playmakers hands, pick up six, seven, eight yards right. is one way that the giants have successfully moved the football down the field. Yeah. That that's probably one the biggest factor for me. I feel like if you just broke it all down and thought back on all the film and all the passing yards they've had, a lot of it has been scheme based. Unfortunately, I mean, it's not trying to take anything away. I don't want to say, unfortunately, I don't want to keep qualifying things. I hope people yeah. <laughs> are, are, can understand things on a different level and not look at everything as criticism or praise. Cause that's not what this is. A lot of it's just pure analysis and evaluation, at least what we try to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're still looking at a quarterback who hasn't utilized really at all utilized the field from 20 yards above. If you look at his spray chart, his passing chart, he has just three attempts above that are, that have traveled 20 yards in the air. That's a insanely low or three completions, I should say, that have traveled 20 yards in the air. Um, and that's an insanely low number at this point in the season. So really, we've we had the field very much so cut off uh, from 20 yards from the line of scrimmage to above. That's where almost every single attempt has been thrown uh, and every single completion has been made for the most part, with the exception of a few. So for that reason alone, it's hard to put him as a breakout pass. You do need to you know, utilize the intermediate and deep levels of the field if you want to be a long term success in the NFL for sure. And just a long term Super Bowl contender, which is what we want the Giants to be. Um, so yeah, can't quite make breakout, but there will be factors that lead to, uh, him making another category coming up, at least for me as a little bit of a spoiler, but I will say the unsung hero, who's your unsung hero this season. There's a lot of good candidates for this. There are a lot of good candidates for this. I think a player like Jihad Ward could make this list. I think you can name a lot of the offensive linemen who have stepped in. And while they have some warts and pass protection, they've been assets as run blockers. But I think the consistent choice that would qualify here is a player that I think is finally gaining recognition. He's a team captain now, and his role is about to expand a lot more. And that is Julian Love. And I know that's the same choice that you have just looking at your list. But when you consider he is the second option at his position with Xavier McKinney there and just how impactful he is all over the field, he doesn't, I believe, get the recognition that he deserves. I kind of have this thought that he's going to be a giant next year. I think he's going to be resigned, and I think he's a very important player to what Wink Martindale wants to do. And if he really steps into the Xavier McKinney role now and really thrives and the Giants don't miss a beat and Dane Belton rises his game, then you can really look at Julian Love and say, damn, dude, like you were really underutilized before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, I really like what I really like what he's what he's doing right now in this defense. That's a great point. I like that take. I was thinking that that's something to consider. Like, what you know, does that? Are we going to get to a period of four games now? And we're hoping it's four games for McKinney. I damn sure can't afford more than four. I hope it's not more than four because especially because that one right after is the Eagles game. I, I they need him back for that Eagles game if they want. Yeah. They need all hands on board for that type of game. <laughs> Just say that. But we might get an opportunity in this four game stretch to see if Julian Love is even more important to this defense than we even ever imagined or realized. And which could yeah. play against the giants, man. If he, if he no, does the have contract, the, giants, right. the contract. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Cause they need some kind of bargain play here. They're going to have to dump like 19 million a year. It sounds like into Saquon Barkley from what I'm hearing is what the structure might look like 19 mil, which is a wild amount for a running back uh, a lot against the cap. And then Daniel Jones at this point is probably going to require like 30, 33 mil. The, the giants are, have a lot of cap space now, quote unquote, they're in a healthy position. It's around 49 million. I think I saw, but if you go 19 for Daniel jo or for Saquon Barkley and 33 for Daniel Jones or 35 for Daniel Jones, you're all of a sudden right back where you started from a salary cap situation. And then you still have to consider Dexter Lawrence. You still have to consider Andrew Thomas extension, Julian love which has to be resigned. Julian Love has to be resigned in my mind at this point. 
or at least has to be a priority to re-sign at this point. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that does impact them. But Julian Love was my pick as well. You mentioned it. I think you mentioned some of the the the, the players who could be mentioned in the mix. Daniel Bellinger for sure has to be mentioned in the mix. He's in the mix for a lot of these categories, but he's certainly in the mix for this when you consider what the Giants looked like without him in his first game out against the Seattle Seahawks and what kind of impact that had on the run game, what kind of impact that had on the tight end depth. So he's in the mix for me as well. You mentioned John Ward. I would say Xavier McKinney belongs in the mix as well. This is my whole thing. We were talking about in the McKinney reaction pod, uh, you know, earlier. Doesn't always show up in the box score, Nick, but damn, when you watch the film, this dude is they is a beacon of he's the last line of defense. He is the guy saving them from a lot of bad situations that don't always show up in the box score. But when you watch the tape, like I said, you can notice the impact he's having. So I put McKinney in that mix as well because he hasn't gotten much fan love this season. I know the interception numbers are down, and that's a big reason for it. But, man, is he making key plays on key downs and being that last line of defense. So a lot of those players came into the mix for me, but Julian Love is the one who, who rises above them all. He just, like you said, he's playing such a variety of roles. He's the, 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 To me, what really stands out the most is when you watch the film, dude, Who's giving more effort on this defense than Julian Love? And that's not to say other guys aren't giving a lot of effort. There are a lot of guys who deserve credit for their effort. Kayvon Thibodeau, you can go, Dexter Lawrence, you can go down the list. I don't think really anyone, uh, yeah, I don't really think anyone on this defense has an effort question. That's part of what makes the Wink Martindale defense special. They rally to the football. They're playing with their heads on fire. They're all around the football at all times. But still, even with that said, I just feel like Julian Love has stood out the most from an effort level. And that's what really has gives him that uh, superlative for me. Right there with you. Now, who is your X factor, Dan? Yeah, my pick. And this is probably why, you know, I came around to your side of it and I decided you were the winner of that debate. But my pick is Saquon Barkley. So it's hard for me to sit here and say he's not the MVP of the offense if he's not the X factor or the MVP of the team if he's not the X factor. And so why he won X factor for me, obviously you could put in any of those guys, Dexter Lawrence, Daniel Jones, uh, uh, Andrew Thomas, you know, as any of those factors. But for me, you take Saquon Barkley out of this, uh, off this team right now, overall, you probably have fewer wins than if you take anyone else off the field. I know that's going to cause some pushback with some people. So I know you're going to get into that, the quarterback side of that. But I think Barkley has been the reason they won the Titans game. Barkley has been the reason. I'd have to think of the other games that he's been the reason, but for sure, the Titans game, he single-handedly won that game himself in my mind. Um, and even if you look at a game like the Packers game, and no, Daniel Jones had that long drive without him, but he also had the switch route that you talked about where he made that big play in the pass game, really sparked the offense back, boost, spark, helped them spark that comeback. Um, so more so than not, I feel like he's been the X factor in the wins uh, for this year. So he's my pick. Yeah, that's an easy one for me. If anybody didn't hear the last podcast we had, we discussed how Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas are two of the MVPs and the pros and cons to that conversation. So I'm right there with you. And then there's most improved, which you can go in a couple different ways here. Who is your most improved player in 2022? A lot of players in the mix for most improved. Um you could even mention some of the guys who've taken those massive jumps like Andrew Thomas and, and um, Dory Jackson or Dexter Lawrence, right? Dexter Lawrence could easily be in the mix in my mind, at least now I agree. He's had those flashes on film, but from a consistent pass rush standpoint, I haven't seen this from Lawrence until this year, a lot of guys in the mix, but for me, there is a clear cut answer and it's not even close. And look, we could throw Saquon Barkley in the mix, right? When you consider the improvements he made yeah. in pass, bro, the improvements made with his vision, his decisiveness, getting all the things you talked about in the last podcast, He's in the mix too, for sure. 
But for me, the answer is a clear-cut winner here. It's Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has taken key steps, mainly in his pocket manipulation and in his quick processing, both pre and post. I've seen so much more authority from Daniel Jones before the snaps. I showed a couple of those clips on Twitter during that breakdown I had of his four-game stretch where he's shifting, blocking, you know, block before the snap. Key run in the red zone to Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones motions out before the snap to the two tight ends and changes the blocking for those two tight ends, changes their play, changes their responsibility. And that leads to one of them coming around. I think it was uh, Myrick at the time. It might have been Bellinger. Uh, I think it was Myrick coming around and making a key block that helps spring extra yards in that run. He's also made key alerts on third downs. The one to Marcus Johnson against the Ravens that led to a first down plenty that come to mind there. So he's making pre-snap reads and pre-snap adjustments more than I've ever seen. And post snap, that's where the real magic has started to happen from an improvement standpoint with Jones. He's just moving so much faster. Is he still not always processing reads down the field and shots that he should take down the field or at times open guys in the red zone in those tight windows? Yes, that's still the case, but you have to understand where he's come from for me, at least, why he's won, why he wins this superlative, Nick. It's where he was at and where he's come to, or, or where he's come to now. Like, where has the, how much, how big of a jump have we seen with him versus these other players? To me, it's been night and day for him more than any of these other players, uh, mostly for those things, processing. And then finally, the, the pocket presence, right? Like, we're seeing so much less of Daniel Jones bailing to his right, plays dead, he's rolling to his right, he can't do anything. Now he's doing a good job of stepping through that, taking the big at running, like you said. And at times, I've even seen him reset the throwing window and make throws into new windows that I don't didn't always see him do a consistent job of in the past. Lastly, for Jones, one more thing. I just want to sing his praises. One more thing I saw, I've seen great improvement of. This one stands out the most to me, Nick. And this could be a whole podcast at some point that I'd love to get your thoughts on. And I don't even want to bring in like a Mark Schofield and quarterback guys. I don't know how or why this is the case. But he's throwing so much better off platform this year than he has at any other season. That to me can't be even be tied to the coaching, really. I don't know what you can attribute to that. That just is like physical tools, traits, talent type stuff. Like the ball placement and the velocity off platform when he's throwing on the move has been so much better this year. And so I don't know why, but that's also majorly improved. So factoring in all three of those things, he's been to me by far and away the most improved giant. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. You might also think, hey, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. 
Why is the water called liquid death, you might ask? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Look, I've tried liquid death. It's pretty good water. You should go out there and give it a good old chug. People will think you're drinking a beer, but really, you're just hydrating yourself because you're parched. So please, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. Please use that promo code. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. I agree. As Joe Shane would say, he is executing on the gotta have it plays. He's coming up in third and 14, third and nine. And he's done it fairly regularly all throughout this season. I mean, he only has the two games with over 200 yards. He went for 217 against Green Bay. He went for 202 against Jacksonville. But either way, the Giants are winning football games. And it's not all Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is, you know, the spoon that is stirring this. But Daniel Jones has some key ingredients here and he's playing well. Does that mean he's going to be the long term? answer here in New York? Not necessarily, but as of right now, he's playing well, and I think he's going to come out of the bye week re-energized with a little bit more to the offense. I think there's going to be a little bit more passing, because I think the Giants are going to see what happened against Seattle and realize that they need to work on their true downfield passing attack, and I think Wanda Robinson will be a big part of that, and hopefully Daniel Jones can continue to grow, because the development we've seen this season has been impressive. So I also think you're spot on about that, Nick, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Like, what will this Giants offense look like coming out of the bye week? And I think it's going to be a much more potent passing attack from the vertical and intermediate standpoint. But I also think about like from the Wandell Robinson standpoint, there were some, some plays like in that Seattle game on film where Wandell Robinson was probably going to be a key factor on a, on a, you know, he was shooting up the, the seam. He was, he was, it was intermediate. It was vertical. And the Seahawks just said, F it. We saw what happened with this dude last week. We don't really believe in, in Darius Slayton and Marcus Johnson and David Sills. And we're just going to double him and we're going to bracket him. And they did that on multiple key plays in that game. And I worry that that will continue to happen because it will be harder for him to actually make plays. And that still doesn't look the good thing about football is you're still a major factor on a play. If you're taking away two defenders attention as a route runner, running your route, You've made a big impact on the play already. That should open up something else for the quarterback if he sees it fast enough. But I do worry from a just pure production standpoint if that might impact Robinson. I think it's a good point, but I don't know if the Houston Texans are the team that are going to do right. that. Yeah. Not <laughs> Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith loves, you know, just four three, four down linemen, cover two. You know, he loves yeah. himself in cover two. You're gonna see a lot of Derek Stingley pressing Darius Slayton running around him, and then Darius Slayton being open in the honey hole. So I think the Giants are going to really try to attack the sidelines. They're gonna be using three by one sets, sending the number three or the number two on a seven, occupying that flat defender, and then just sending another uh wide receiver to occupy the safety and then you're basically gonna have three verse two to that side i'm sure lovey smith will adjust a little bit but from a scheme standpoint i don't know if this game against the texans is going to be the uh example of the giants not not having success through the air if the texans remain consistent with what they've done which is essentially just cover two and then cover three and also dallas goddard he freaking ripped up this team right i wish daniel bellinger was healthy because i know he would be able to do this i think you're going to see a lot of tight ends by the sidelines little tight end check downs to be mixed in with the intermediate passing attack that i think should be successful 
I think you're right. I think we're going to see our best intermediate passing attack of the season against the Texans. I'm excited about it. I think we're going to come out of this by with a lot of different passing concepts. We haven't really leaned on and we're going to start to lean on them. So we'll see what happens there. Um, let's go to rookie of the year so far for the Giants. This is an interesting one. Uh, I have a pick. I actually, I've debated changing my pick. I'm, Still in the process right now. I think by the time you make your pick, I'll make my final choice. Uh, my original pick might not be the same as it is now. Yeah, this is difficult because when I first saw this, I went with an opposite answer from you. And I'm leaning towards the answer that you had down. But the two players that are on my mind is Kayvon Thibodeau and Daniel Bellinger. I think Daniel Bellinger is a huge factor to what the New York Giants wanted to do offensively through the first half of the season, and not even just because he's a receiver. I think he has like 16 catches and the two touchdowns on the year, but it's his ability as a blocker, and it's his toughness, and it's removing him from the lineup and putting a much less blocking tight end out there in 12 personnel when it is not just Chris Myrick out there in 11 personnel, and I think that significantly hinders what the Giants want to do on the ground, which hinders what Daniel Jones can do off the play action bootleg, which affects the passing attack overall. So I think there is a strong case for Daniel Bellinger as the rookie MVP. And people would be like, oh, that's a slight on, on Kayvon. Like, no, it's not necessarily a slight on Kayvon Thibodeau. I think ultimately I'm going to go with Kayvon Thibodeau, but I, I think that fourth round pick tight end in, in, in a game where it's so difficult for rookie tight ends to have success, Sam. I think it's it's neck and neck between Bellinger and Kayvon, but I think ultimately I'm going to go with Thibodeau. He has a game-winning, game-sealing strip sack on Lamar Jackson, and he's applying more pressure than I feel like people are giving him credit for. So ultimately, I'm going to go with Thibodeau. Yeah, I originally went with Thibodeau, and I think a good point that you made is, as to why I'm sticking with Thibodeau is the game-winning plays that he's made. So first of all, a lot of people have thought this has been a disappointing rookie season for Thibodeau just because the box score stats don't show it. But I think a lot of these, the impact he's making isn't showing up in the box score. He's had some plays like the biggest play of their win against the Packers was the Dexter Lawrence sack. I'm not sure that Dexter Lawrence sack doesn't happen. If Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't have that special get off and force of the right tackle to try to climb the arc and push him up the arc forces Aaron Rodgers to step up inside right into Dexter Lawrence stand. He also has the tip pass, right? Where he batted the ball at the line of scrimmage on the play before Xavier McKinney did the third down. Well, you still need that, right? McKinney did it on fourth down to seal the game, but you still need the third down tip as well. And he's had multiple balls bad at the line of scrimmage overall the season, not always in as high leverage moments, but multiple balls. How about when he chases down Travis Etienne on a long run that might have been a touchdown without that chase down from the opposite side of the field? So on the flip side of that, you got Daniel Bellinger, who catches a touchdown against the part uh, the Panthers, which makes a big difference, catches a, the game winner against the Ravens, which makes a big difference, and ultimately plays a big role in a key as a key cog as a blocker. And we obviously saw the blocking in the run game was a lot worse without him. And, I, and again, as we look back on the film, we did it on the film analysis. We talked about this, Nick. But the weirdest part about that game was it wasn't really like the Seahawks were doing what like what the Jaguars were doing, right? Like the Jaguars are so aggressive in shooting the gaps and penetrating the gaps with their second level guys. The Seahawks didn't even really do that much of that. And they didn't really stack the box. They weren't playing a ton of like cover one single, you know, single high safety. It was just kind of just discipline in your run fits. Um, and so part of that, to me, at least what stands out is when that type of thing happens, like, oh, well, there's probably some poor execution at times from the Giants tight ends or from the missing piece without Bellinger. So I think a case can be made for Bellinger, but overall, I feel like more of the game altering plays have come from Kayvon Thibodeau. So Thibodeau remains my pick. 
And another thing, too, you go to like PFF, all those PBUs and those pass deflected at the line of scrimmage, when you're on the defensive tab, I don't see them be accounted anywhere. Like it's not in the coverage because he wasn't technically in coverage. And I don't see any That's weird. type of batted pass down. Oh, wait, no, no, I do here. I think I'm just an idiot. I think bat is is that. But he only has accounted for two. And they were both oh, against. He's had more than two. He's definitely had more than than two he had the two against green bay but i want to say he has maybe another two it was like yeah. just grazed his finger and resulted in an incomplete pass so i just think that the rap on cave on thibodeau is a little bit unfair i think he is better than people are are suggesting and the one sack people are all hung up on the one sack but he has a lot of those pressures have resulted in incomplete passes i'll say that much and i think he's primed for a nice strong uh, the second half of the season, but th- that kind of leads us into the next topic, which is best value draft pick. And I think a lot of people can kind of put two and two together yeah. as to why we had to add this superlative into the podcast. Yes. Yeah. It's Daniel Bellinger who could be, who could even make the case for being a better value pick right now for the giants and Bellinger in the fourth round, getting that much out of him. I mean, look, some people would, would probably argue Nick that if Darren Beavers doesn't get hurt, he would have a case for it right now. Cause he might be playing a high percentage of the snaps at linebacker that remains to be seen. I hope he recovers well from the ACL comes back and plays an impact on this defense or makes an impact on this defense. But as far as what's left without the injuries and even factoring in Bellinger missing some time, to me, it's clear-cut Bellinger for this pick. Yeah, I'm right there with you. He's just been an absolute stud, and we've kind of laid out all the reasons as to how important he is. That's just another thing the New York Giants are going to have to combat coming out of this bye week against the Houston Texans is try to figure out a way to replace Daniel Bellinger. And guess what? They're right. facing a team. Now, we want them to get the passing attack going, but this is a team who surrenders the most rushing yards per game on average. So you're going to see a heavy dose of Saquon Barkley and hopefully the Giants tight ends can hold up and block a little bit better. Maybe Cager has a little bit more as a blocker than, than we'd imagine because Tanner Hudson, man, it, it was a little bit of a struggle to watch him last week. Yep. And to be fair though, the Seahawks did allow 4.9 yards per carry going into that Giants game. So, and they, and they beat him with, with discipline. So I hope that's not the case with the Texans. There'll be a less disciplined defense. Let's hope for, I will say this one under really the interesting thing. If you want hope now, remember the draft is a crapshoot. Even Joe Shane, we don't even say Joe Shane. Let's say like even Ozzie Newsome, the legendary GM Ozzie Newsome, doesn't get every pick right and isn't always going to hit on a pick. But having said that, Joe Shane did nail the Bellinger pick in the range where, even after, but we'll just call it the range where the Giants got back for the Kadarius Tony trade, right? There, that pick is going to probably be like 101, 102, that Tony pick, maybe 99, 97, I don't know, somewhere in that range, that comp pick. Um, and so that's about a little ahead of, but just in the same range as the Bellinger pick. So that does give me hope that, you know, if he can hit twice in a row in that range, we'll be able to at least get a really immediate impact contributor who can make up for what they lost. Potentially it's all potential, but what they potentially lost with Darius Tony. So just something else to consider. So Dan, we take our superlatives really serious here yeah. on the big blue banter podcast. So the offensive player of the year superlative, does that have to be different than the X factor? Yes, to me it does because the X factor. Okay, so you could be the best offensive player. You could be the best X player, like offensive player. We'll say for this example, but not have the biggest impact on your team, right? Like, let's say Daniel Jones was playing at an even higher level than he's playing at now, and he's played at a really good level again for that four game stretch and overall. But if he was playing at an even higher level, but not quite the level of Andrew Thomas, who is arguably the best left tackle in the league, or not quite the level of Saquon Barkley, who's probably the second or third, or maybe some would say first best running back in the league right now. 
I still think Daniel Jones could be, you can make a case for him being the offensive player of the year or the X factor, either or like, or I'm sorry, the X factor, not the offensive player of the year. Sorry, I, I said that wrong, but being the X factor just because positional value, right? And just because the impact that they're actually making on the field towards winning and losing. But as far as just who's been the best offensive player this year, regardless in, and taking away any of that, to me, it's been Andrew Thomas. He's just been arguably the best left tackle in the NFL, if not the second or third best. Again, you can make that case for Barkley too. So it is an interesting debate. Um, but I think at least you have more guys in the running there with Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry. Yeah, well, Saquon Barkley was my X factor. So I'll go as well with Andrew Thomas, okay. just like you, in terms of offensive player of the year. And we have about a podcast and a half talking about these two <laughs> players. So you guys can listen to that. But you, there's nothing but praise for, for Andrew Thomas. I'm just glad nationally he's starting to get recognized for what we've all kind of started to see last season, even at the end of his rookie year, which there were a couple rough games against Baltimore, against the Cardinals. But in 2021, he was damn good. And then this season, he's playing unreal. It's It feels good to have a really stable left tackle, not somebody yeah. that you're looking to replace. Yeah, it's pretty sick. We have potentially this for the next 10 years, which is just so awesome, man. We've gone through so much bad play over the last 5, 10 years as fans, left tackle play. And we've seen just the kind of derailment it can have on your entire offense when you have bad offensive line play, specifically bad tackle play. And right now, it feels like barring injury, we're not going to have that for the next decade from that left tackle spot. And with the same cannot be said yet about the right tackle spot. Hopefully we get there. That's not a guarantee by any means, but we know it at left tackle. So that feels so good. How about defensive player of the year? Defensive player of the year for the first half, I think, has to go to Dexter Lawrence. I think Dexter Lawrence, as we've talked about, biggest improvement. I think he is also someone who has taken games over several times this season, has imposed his will. And as I've said previously, I think he is now in the conversation, maybe even solidly in the conversation for top five game wrecking interior defensive lineman in the NFL, yeah. which is which is not said lightly because you have guys like Chris Jones, you have guys like Grady Jarrett, Aaron Donald. So it, it's a tough group Damn to crack. But I, I, yeah, obviously, uh, Jeffrey Simmons as well. He's a stud. So I think Dexter Lawrence is in that conversation at least. So and I think he can only go up from there. And I think he will because he is young, explosive and just incredibly difficult to block. Yeah, you nailed that. So we can move on. We've talked a lot about Dex. How about Players that need to improve the most or player that needs to improve the most in the second half. I think anybody who listens to the Big Blue Banter podcast and watches the All-22 on our YouTube, they know who we're going to say. But I think you can probably make a, an argument for each side of the of the uh, debate. right? Yeah, so this will be an argument between Tay Crowder and Jalen Smith. But I will say this. We'll pitch both sides of that argument. Who needs to improve more of those two? Go ahead. Were you going to say? Something? I would say that I, I think people can also make an argument for the wide receivers. Well, that's what I was going to. I was just going to say. Yeah. What uh, I've gotten my men, when I posted this uh, on Twitter, the superlatives. What I got in my mentions was a furious, furious response, and I, I, it's to be expected from fans. This is where the narrative is. This is the accepted. If you, it's hard to get Giants fans to agree on anything. They agree that we're, we have Andrew Thomas, one of the best tackles in the NFL. One thing Giants are just dug in on is that the wide receivers are just beyond bad, worse than the NFL, worst thing you can ever imagine. Um, so that was like a big, you know, pushback right there. They're like, no, 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 don't even talk about the linebackers. The wide receivers need to improve the most. So we can talk about that part of it after, but let's start with our picks, which were Crowder and Jalen. Yeah, Crowder and Jalen Smith. We saw in the Jacksonville game. Like, it's incredible. 
that the Giants won that football game, man. That's how bad the, the second level was in terms of containing the run. And the fact that Jacksonville just didn't know how to hit an open hole several different times. It's something that came up. The, their vision as runners were was pretty pathetic in that game. But all throughout the season, and even what Wink Martindale kind of tells you, he doesn't really want to put the linebackers out there if he doesn't have to. If he has to match 12 personnel, more than likely you're going to see the linebackers out there. But I even think there are times when the Giants were out there against 12 personnel, yes. but it was like a Josiah DeGuara. So it was a little bit lighter where you saw quarter personnel where you didn't see any linebackers out there. There has to be an improvement for me. It's not from the wide receivers. It's from Crowder and Jalen Smith. And I also think the improvements that those two players can make I feel like there, there's more range for those two players to improve rather than the wide receivers because David Sills isn't just going to turn into Jamar Chase and just running faster and jumping higher and creating <laughs> separation a lot more, whereas a lot of the issues with Jalen Smith and Tay Crowder are in the mind, and it's from a diagnosing standpoint. So from that perspective, I think it's easily the linebackers. That's a great point. The second point you made there, I think, is they're both good points. But the second point is really telling because there is more room for growth for these linebackers than these wide receivers. Um, having said that, there are some, you know, you could see Marcus Johnson play better than he has potentially because he's already yeah. creating separation. He just needs to catch the football, you know, and make better plays on the ball. And Wondell Robinson is someone who I don't want to say can improve because he hasn't been bad, but he can show more. Like, he can do more things for this offense in the second half. I think Darius Slayton's playing really good football. So, for me, why it came down to the linebackers is at least on the wide receiver side of the ball, they are getting good production from Darius Slayton right now. Really good production, if we're going to be honest. I mean, Darius Slayton in that Seahawks game could have had a huge game for the Giants if Daniel Jones throws either of those deep balls, especially the wide open one that he just completely processed poorly and missed. Um, and so then it was great separation and a great route run. We've gone over that play already. You, you can find it on our Twitter, on my Twitter, or on the YouTube page more like, but more importantly, but there's still a little bit more juice for me at the wide receivers at linebacker. I think you saw it in the Jaguars game. Maybe it changes a little bit with them moving Crowder out of the mic. If they stick with this and keeping Jalen Smith in the mic, maybe, but ultimately if I'm looking for one issue on this giants defense and part of this, Nick is they haven't played Mahomes or Josh Allen yet and or Tua yet. Let's just call them because Tua right now in the dolphins, no matter how you want to cut it, you don't want to give Tua credit. That's on you. That's fine. And I don't care. I'm not going to get into that debate. But that passing offense is one of the best passing offenses in the NFL by far right now. It's the Dolphins, the Chiefs, and the Bills who can consistently throw the football right now in the NFL. Who else am I, am I missing anyone? But the Dolphins are certainly in there. Am I missing anyone? No. You look around. Kyler and the Cardinals aren't no. there. The Chargers are horrendous. Chargers like, are close, but not there with the injuries. Yeah. Now, Seattle. Like, Seattle, a lot of people don't like to. Yeah. I can definitely put Seattle in there. Seattle's yeah. four. Anyone else? Not really, consistently. Right? Uh, yeah. I mean, the Eagles are a weird one. Eagles, they Eagles are, are in there. If they want to, they can. They clearly yeah. prove it when they want to pass the ball deep, they can. And, and then, like them. Cincinnati is right. so like they're just a different team every every week. But they you know that the potential. Yes. Yep. So they faced the Giants have faced because you don't want to, they haven't faced the Eagles yet. They faced Seattle. They faced one of these teams who can do this right. But for the most part, they haven't. So I haven't really seen. The stress on the corners that we thought we were going to see, right? The stress on the coverage. But what I have seen is the stress on the linebackers, the impact these second-level players are making on the defense performing and executing their job versus not. And these second-level have been the, the big 
hole for this Giants defense the entire season. Even in games where they were better, like against the Seahawks, they're still not making plays in coverage. They're still not dropping the depth you want them to drop to at times. They're still not they're, they're not good one-on-one in coverage, so they're not really great blitzers, I don't think. Crowder's a little better than Smith, but it is what it is, and it's the instincts. It's the, it's the inability to make those plays sideline to sideline that stands out to me the most, so I would another, have to put it above. Yeah, go ahead. Another just frustrating because like we were hoping Micah McFadden would come out of the bye week and have a bigger role. We've said that on previous podcasts, but I feel like when you put the rookie in there without Xavier McKinney and Julian Love now oh, kind yeah. of handling another role, Xavier McKinney, how many times this season we see Xavier McKinney pointing at something pointing. out and, hey, you got to be there. Like from a men- and Julian Love has that same ability to do that. That that's not the point. The point is now Julian Love, who knew what he was doing up close to the line of scrimmage or wherever he was, now has to be put back, which means Dane Belton has to replace Julian Love, which Dane Belton doesn't have the type of comprehension in this system that Xavier McKinney had. So it's just a step down. So if Michael McFadden wants to find the field, he's not going to have Xavier McKinney next to him and be like, "Hey, you got to get out there on the tight end, dude. Like get the hell out there," because that's happened right. like three times on tape where Michael McFadden wasn't in position pre-snap and he was exploited twice and last week against seattle it happened and mckinney's like go 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 and then michael mcfadden ends up actually getting out and making the tackle but still pre-snap he wasn't aligned where he needs that's the reason he made the tackle because of mckinney as you said yes that does if he doesn't do that mckinney what's going to happen on that play well we might give up a big play and what if that happens now because mckinney's out right so exactly a great point and that might be a reason we might not see as much McFadden. Just something to keep in mind. All right, let's close out with a few more of these fun ones. We're going to close out with best veteran free agent acquisition, second half breakout prediction, and also the player we're most looking forward to returning from injury because there's a ton of injured guys on this roster. There's a <laughs> lot of guys in the mix for that one, and some of them are, we're really looking forward to. Um, so let's start with the best veteran free agent addition for the Giants. Yeah, we're not going to go over Moreau here because he got the biggest surprise. So we're looking at Justin Ellis. We're looking at Jihad Ward. We're looking at Nick Williams. A lot of guys in the interior. And you got Mark Lewinsky. And you got John Feliciano. And you have Richie James. So there's a decent amount of players that you can go over here. And I think I'm going to go with Jihad Ward. I think Jihad Ward has his faults sometimes. But I think he's made a lot of impact plays earlier in the season. I think he's a physical run defender. I think... One way the Giants did well to adjust to power gap schemes that the Ravens were running against them, where they were running a lot of GT counter, pulling the backside guard, pulling the backside tackle, is you use Jahad Ward and the fact that he is 290 pounds and you run him directly at the inside shoulder of that pulling guard and you eliminate right. him and you cause the running back to not really have a lot of blockers getting to where they need to be because Jahad Ward is just taking out the pullers and then you just scrape and replace another linebacker to to uh, to contain, which the Giants did pretty well towards the end of that game. But overall, he's playing a lot of snaps and I think he is having an impact as a run defender most of the time, I would say. So yeah, I'm going to go with Jahad Ward. Yeah, it's a tough call, I think, because part of me wants to at least throw in the mix Nick Williams because I just think these interior defensive linemen don't get a lot of credit. You know, I was watching last night, dude. My boy, I, I love bringing him up because he had such a good game last night. Did you watch the Sunday Night Football game last night, Chiefs? Of course. Of course. So you know who I'm going to bring up, right? Um, I feel like you could bring up a lot of people. So no, I'm not giant. Really- okay. All right. It's fine. It's, it's You wouldn't know. Oh, an, ex, an ex-New York Giant? Yes. Interior defensive uh, lineman. Interior defensive lineman. I mean, no, no, I'm drawing a blank. So Mario Edwards, who I, oh, uh, you're going back. Season, okay. I yeah. love Mar- his one season with the Giants was like wildly underrated. He was like on film showing up week after week. They had to run him out at edge last week. This is like an interior dude. They had to play him at edge last night because they're so 
beat up at edge. Brad Dupree went out. They already lost Howard Landry. He comes up with a huge sack, a forced fumble, I think it was. And he has another huge pressure in that game. And just like these interior guys that the Giants have been doing a good job of scooping up. Edwards, Austin Johnson, now Nick Williams. They make a bigger impact on film than anyone realizes because they don't show up in the box score ever. That's the thing with these dudes. They're non, they're no names in the box score. They don't pick up stats. But on film, it's like that guy doesn't do it if Nick Williams isn't here. They're not making this play, right? Like they, they're just not going to be able to make this play. Now the case can be made. Look, if you put like a Henry Mondo or any of those dudes instead of him, can he do the same? Can he, op, you know, execute the same responsibility? Maybe, but I think I've seen enough on, on a film on Williams that I like that I'm going to give this one slightly to Williams over Jihad Ward. There's a case to be made. I think Ward's probably the popular pick. I just wanted to do something different though for this one. Yeah, I like the Nick Williams call. I think 32 year old journeyman defensive tackle who's stepping in and who made pretty damn big plays against green Bay right. and against Baltimore. So I think he, I like the fact that he's made the superlative list. Cause you're right. The giants seem to always have these veteran defensive linemen who don't really get the credit that they deserve for the impact plays that they have. Austin Johnson last year was exactly that Danny Shelton was not. And that was the player that we thought it was going to be now second half breakout. And this one's interesting because the giants just lost one of their best players to a freaking hand injury. And that could open the door for a safety to have a breakout. So who do you have in mind? And does it correlate with what I just said? My breakout's going to be a little different than yours, actually, Nick. Um, and I think there's a lot of options here, actually, because I'm also factoring in just players who haven't played due to injuries. And so my pick is going to be Evan Neal. I think Evan Neal is going to come back from this injury, dude, and look like, and not just because he's back from injury, but because he's had more time, he's had played more reps. He started to look that way anyway before the injury. But I think he's going to look like a different player, and I think he's just going to have that, that second half of his rookie season, similar to the one Andrew Thomas had in his second half as a rookie. If we, if we remember back, Andrew Thomas struggled a lot in his first half as a rookie, settled in, had a really strong second half as a rookie. I think we'll see something very similar. I think it'll be different because I think Andrew Thomas's second half as a rookie was probably weighted evenly or you know had a lot a big chunk of like run game impact especially as they start to really run the ball that year i think neils will more so be he'll just be more competent and really good in pass pro and have some flash in the run game but be more heavily weighted toward what he's contributing as a pass protector but i'm going to give it to evan neal i think he's in for a really nice second half i love the evan neal call right there now he kind of is my answer for the next question that we'll go over but as for second half breakouts, I'm looking at the safety position specifically, and I think I'm going to go with Dane Belton, but I think it can easily be Landon Collins, and that's why I'm very excited. Look, I think Dane Belton could have easily have had two interceptions. One kind of bounced off his face mask, and that's on him. It was a rocket by Lamar Jackson. And then last week, if Jihad Ward doesn't make a good play Oof. and bat the ball down at the line of scrimmage, that was probably a pick six, and the Giants could be seven and one right now. Like that, that could have been a game altering play. I just think Dane Belton does such a damn good job baiting quarterbacks and, and transitioning whenever they're running pattern match or something like that. If somebody drags underneath his zone and he's in the box, he does a really good job kind of attaching to that hip, but keeping his eyes on the quarterback and feeling where that wide receiver is going and what their position is. And if he sees the quarterback's eyes transition off to another adjacent type of route because we know a lot of routes just feed off of each other. He does a very good job coming off of his original assignment and undercutting that route. He did it in college at Iowa. He's done it even so far this season. It just hasn't resulted in any interceptions. And I think it's going to, so I think I'm going to go with Dane Bell. Now he's not a polished prospect. And there are some times where I'm like, Oh my God, dude, like, what are you doing? But 
overall, I think he can make huge impact plays on a team where the Giants, what, they have one interception this year? They, they, they yeah. don't intercept balls. So I think he can, if the Giants start intercepting passes, it can go a long way. And I think Belton has that within his arsenal. So I'm going to go with him. And I think Landon Collins could, should be factored into it as well. His role could expand coming out of the bye week now that Xavier McKinney is not there. Yeah, I'd like that call a lot. And I'm hoping you're right because they're going to need some safety help without McKinney for damn sure. All right, give me the player. We'll wrap it up here with the last superlative. The player you're most looking forward to returning from injury. It would be Evan Neal for everything that you said, but I also want to add Aziz Ojolari into this mix. And it could be Ellerson Smith, who's already back, but I'm going to go with Aziz, and I'm not really 100% certain when he is going to be back and fully healthy with the calf injury that has lingered now. But I see the All-22, and I see how teams are scheming against Kayvon Thibodeau because they don't respect the edge rusher to the other side. And a lot of those situations, it's Jihad Ward. You saw it a lot against Jacksonville, where right. they kept the tight end in, where they kept the running back in, and they just double-teamed Kayvon, and they allowed Jihad Ward to go up against Juwan James or whatever. Jihad Ward couldn't really do anything because he doesn't add that much as a pass rusher. But you bring Aziz Ojolari back with Kayvon Thibodeau or even O'Shane Zimenez back, or Ellerson Smith starts to find his stride, I think it's a lot more difficult for those passing offenses to really key in and focus on Kayvon Thibodeau, specifically with Aziz Ojolari. So I'm really excited to get Ojolari back whenever that is. Yeah, it's Ojolari for me for damn sure. I think Nick laid out the case perfectly. You know, again, a lot of people disappointed in Kayvon Thibodeau's rookie start, whatever. Guess what? When he gets Aziz Ojolari on the field, that disappointment's going to go away because we see it when we watch the film. They are they don't respect anyone from a pass rushing standpoint on the edge except for Kayvon Thibodeau. That will change if Aziz Ojolari is fully healthy, especially because we believe that he will be in second year. In his second year, he'll have a much wider array of pass rushing moves, a bigger pass rushing repertoire and arsenal to throw at opposing right tackles or left tackles, depending on where he's lined up. And that alone will start to command more respect. And then obviously give Kayvon Thibodeau more, more matchups that work into his favor. So to me, this defense can take its biggest step by getting those four on the field at the same time. Ojolari, Thibodeau, Leonard Williams, and Dexter Lawrence. That's when the Giants could start to look like, oh crap, it's late November, it's early December, the weather is terrible, quarterbacks cannot throw through this weather for the most part, and guess what? This we're just It's all about the trenches, and what's happening in the trenches? Well, you have four dogs in the trenches between those four dudes, and they're just impacting every play on a run game standpoint, they're impacting every play on the pass game, and so that's really, to me, where the ceiling of this specific roster, right, the one they have right now for 2022, even if they make the playoffs, we hope they do, but even if they don't, but let's say they do. The ceiling is the defensive line becomes a dominant force. That, to me, is the narrative right, right now. Earlier this year, I would have told you maybe it's Kadarius Tony comes back and makes a big impact on offense, and they can turn this offense to a next-level offense. Right now, to me, with where we're at from the roster standpoint, what we have moving forward, it's, to me, this defensive line comes back fully healthy, they mesh together, and they start to take over football games. And I also, even with, with someone like O'Shane Zimenez, we see Cape Undibido, and he might still maintain this even with the healthy bodies back. He plays Sam a lot. Right. That's his role. So that means he's dropping into coverage. He's over the tight ends. I think he'll probably maintain that role, but I think you can get more creative if he's not having success over there and you could put him on the weak side and allow O'Shane, who we know Wink Martindale trusts in that role, or even Ojolari to thrive in that role. Whereas he doesn't. Wink Martindale, that is, doesn't really want to put Jihad Ward as the same because he yep. doesn't really offer as much dropping into coverage from the curl flat area. He'll drop him middle hook when he's in a two-point stance over the middle of the field, and he'll just try to undercut you know, the number two and the number three crossing the field. But I think it will give the defense a little bit more flexibility as to where you can align 
Kayvon Thibodeau to allow him to have maybe a little bit more one-on-one rushes, which will result in sacks, which is what everybody wants from Kayvon. I love it, Nick. All right, that's all we have for today. That's the giant superlatives at the midseason point. If you enjoy this content, please hit the subscribe button. Hit that bell button. That'll give you an alert every time a new video is dropped. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts as well. Have a great rest of your week. We will talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.